Hey everyone, welcome to Surf Ascension. My name is Sherrod. And my name is Grant. This is the podcast where we explore ideas and notions that we encounter. In today's episode, we discuss anchor bias, what our opinions are rooted in, whether that be the systems that we live within or the people that are around, and how this affects the independence of our opinion. To preface, this episode is going to be slightly experimental. We jumped directly into the meatiest part of our conversation in an effort to make it as interesting as possible to you, the listener. To the Spotify listeners out there, there will be a quick poll at the end of the podcast that we'd appreciate if you'd fill out whether or not you like the shorter form podcast or would prefer to hear the whole conversation. Outside of that, we hope you enjoy. Wonder why right-handedness is so common. It doesn't seem like it serves any type of evolutionary purpose. It doesn't seem like being right-handed is in any way better than left-handed. Yeah, biologically, nothing, right? Exactly. And it seems like culturally, you've mentioned in other countries, using your left hand is almost an insult in some ways. Or Right, right. So just an example, mm-hmm. just uh, when you, I don't know, was it you that I was talking to this, uh, about this concept where basically even back home, you know, just in any culture, when you're giving someone food or money, to use your left hand to do so is viewed as insulting. You don't do anything of value with your left hand. And that gets perpetuated into even how people that are left-handed are forced to be right-handed. This is like a whole different topic that we go into for hours, but it's it, it's a societal thing where we are so gravitated towards right-handedness and i wonder what really drives us what drives our affinity to things like even numbers and right-handedness yeah absolutely and i'm glad you brought up even numbers i think that's an interesting idea with our mathematical system it seems like even numbers right if you think about an even number there's not really anything special about it it's divisible by two it's just kind of an arbitrary number that we created to for right. a purpose And it works well in our system. When you divide things by an even number, it comes out cleanly. It's easy to do by hand. Same with tens or ones or things along those lines. It's easier to look at almost. You know, if I'm in a store and something's a price at an even number, let's say there was six items inside of a box and it was priced at an even number, well, I can do the per item cost like much easier than if it was an odd number, right? Yeah. I think that makes us very, you know, wanting to... Or just more likely to understand or accept something if it's in an even number format. Are you saying then that it is the reason we like even numbers is based on the utility of even numbers? Like it it makes our lives easier, so we like them more. But as you said, it's like perceived utility, right? I mean, this is just our system that we created. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if we created even numbers to be this easier function of, of life, right? Yeah, it's kind of the chicken and the egg, and I'm having trouble even fully thinking through that, but (laughs) it sounds like it's, uh, I do, it's kind of, even numbers are nice because we created them to be nice inside of the system that we have. Similar to right-handedness, I think tying back to that, right-handedness is convenient if we define something that's similar for a lot of people. It's easier to standardize the system for a lot of people making right-handedness nice. Right, and I think this really highlights um, our nature as humans to really hear something or learn something and append to it, feel very comfortable in a scenario because we don't want to do a lot of our own thinking. And this reminds me of a concept that I learned recently. 
might have heard of it before. It's called anchor bias. And just to give you an example of what that could look like, let's say you were asked a question that maybe asks you to choose the height of a redwood tree okay. in, in the forest, right? And they gave you four different answers, and three were relatively similar, and one was just way different compared to the other. So maybe the first three were like 30 feet, 40 feet, 50 feet, and the last one's 100 feet. Well, what anchor bias is, is you look at a set of answers or a set of opinions, and you append yourself to the large correlation because the other one, the outlier, could not, like, in your in your scope, be the answer, right? So if you see 30, 40, 50, you're going to be like, well, okay, 100's definitely not the answer because it's obviously around these three. That's just a mental, subconscious process of our decision-making. And the answer is actually closer to 100 feet, right? 300 something, yeah, yeah. exactly. So it, it may seem a certain way, but it's just, it's not. And that's the problem in a very real problem of anchor bias. And this bleeds into all sorts of things in society. You know, something that I immediately think of, and you know, a lot of people will know that I'm an avid movie watcher, is people's ability to judge a movie before they have even seen it. And a lot of this can be attributed to things like Rotten Tomatoes or things like, you know, IMDB, movie reviewing sites where someone will not even give themselves the chance to watch a movie because they look up a movie and Rotten Tomatoes says it's 69%, right? Right, like mass rated, no, not people necessarily with credibility or a lot of people that probably have a lot of correlations between them. Like they hop on the bandwagon and they say they don't like it or they heard their friends don't like it, so they don't like it. And then it kind of spreads as a phenomenon. Definitely see, I've definitely seen a couple movies uh, that have had a, terrible Rotten Tomatoes review and have still been fantastic or vice versa and I know you probably have as well. Right, yeah. So like classic example of one. I've asked a few people this. Um but Interstellar, one of the if not best movies of our recent like history and movies and probably and a lot of scientists will say, a lot of space scientists will say this is the most accurate depiction in a movie form of space and the plot's fantastic. The you know, music is done by Hans Zimmer, greatest, one of the greatest movie composers ever. And a lot of people will generally say that, that watch a lot of movies, will say that this is a fantastic movie. Rotten Tomatoes has it at a 79, I think. I mean, <laughs> what does that mean, right? So, like, let's say you had never heard of Interstellar and you went on Rotten Tomatoes and looked it up and you saw 79, well, your opinion of the movie already starts out at a lower level because of it. And I think that this is a problem in, in media as a whole. I'd love to hear if maybe you've heard or have seen this perspective somewhere else. Yeah, and that makes me, before we jump to maybe, I'm thinking of other mediums that would, that would also apply. It makes me think about the critics' rating. So if it gets four stars or three stars or two stars, I wonder what the correlation is between that and then the Rotten Tomatoes rating. Because critics seem like they would have a little bit more credibility and they'd be able to discern a little bit yeah. more of the they, nuance. It and seems like it, right? I mean, it seems like a it. Lot of times, a lot of times they do. I, I can't argue with that. You know, they've watched and absorbed so much content that they're able to have a good baseline for rating movies. But a lot of times these Rotten Tomatoes scores, these Metacritic scores, these IMDb scores 
are very jaded by a public rating that is just has nothing to do with how good the movie is, but rather just a trend in a direction. You know, it's like sports betting. A lot of the time, the lines in sports betting are actually dictated by how many people are betting in favor of a team or a player to do a certain thing. And so, like, let's say the odds for a team to win a game was were extremely high. A lot of the times, they'll go even higher because people will continuously bet on that team. And so the public actually shifts the image of said bet, or in this case, the movie, right? And so, you know, in the public image, Interstellar is kind of a mid-tier movie at 79%, right? But to anyone that's actually seen the movie and has watched other movies and has really given it the movie-watching experience that it deserves, you know it is a production and a half. It's a fantastic movie. And so I think this also kind of, just to talk laterally here, it works within things uh, like music, right? It's like... You know, we were t- I know we were talking about this a couple weeks ago or maybe the other day. Um, Playboy Cardi, he released the album Whole Lotta Red, right? Immediately, people were so quick to say, oh, it's mid. Oh, it's not a good album. Only because everyone was saying that, right? Right. Now it's a, I would say, one of his most loved albums ever. Um, I know multiple people who shifted their... I shifted my opinion on it. I think you might have as well, right? Yep, absolutely. It's, it's an album that has just grown on everyone and only had to experience that growth because everyone was so quick to dismiss it because of how different it was. And rather than looking at what the album actually was for itself, people were looking at, okay, what did his last album compare to this album like yeah and that makes me think of there's this guy named richard dawkins who's a british scientist british biologist and he wrote a book called the selfish gene Mm. and it was about genetics and how genes move through the gene pool and things kind of spread in the population but he also wrote a chapter and this is a little known fact that was about memes (laughs) when was this uh he wrote the book in 1976 and it was the first guy knew about memes in 19s or he created memes he was the first one to use the word meme in that idea and what he originally defined it as was a cultural idea or an idea that spreads through a population so instead of genes Hmm. spreading through a population memes spread through a population and it still kind of is in a way right i think memes nowadays they all follow a certain fashion or manner in how they go about like you know i think memes are just all templates that are able to depict the next pop culture phenomenon, right? They all fit into some And you're talking about, like, uh, humorous memes, right? Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I'm curious, so what's a non-humorous meme then? Right, so a non-humorous meme would be around music opinions or mm. opinions in general. If people are prol- proliferating those ideas on the internet, then those ideas spread through the population just like genes would spread through the population, mm. but much quicker because information nowadays moves so quickly. Right, that's funny to see how the word has maybe the connotation of the word has progressed mm-hmm. and even straight away from his initial definition of it. Yeah, right. Because you think of a meme and you think of a funny Twitter account that goes through that. But I think in this case, it's interesting to see how people tend to herd towards opinions. People, and maybe it goes back to just how we like to live in groups and we like to be in the safety of communities and groups. 
we also feel safety in having an opinion that someone else has. Like I definitely feel more safe to to hedge an opinion, and if someone else also has the opinion, as opposed to going out on a hot take, right? Quote if, unquote hot take. Exactly. So like, if you're in a group of people, you are more careful to say certain things and push certain opinions than if it were one on one, right? So even in, in a setting like this, you know. I know people are listening, so I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to be very precise and careful about the opinions that I give. Right. And I think to an extent that can be good because it makes you really think about what you say. But I think it can also be harmful because it pushes us not to have our own opinion sometimes and more operate on a regurgitating basis. Conformist. or Right. Or we're just kind of spewing out the opinions that we might have heard from somewhere else or saying something that lines up with what the general public thinks in order to, you know, stay in line with what they think and keep people happy and things of that nature, right? Mm-hmm. And that kind of brings the question to my mind of how do you break out of that cycle of you want to be intelligent and you want to say things that there's often kind of a filtering process. Like if a lot of people have an opinion and it lasts for a while, maybe it is a good opinion. Maybe it's something that is a lot of people have that opinion for a reason. We're all humans. We all kind of like similar things. So maybe there is there for a reason. But at the same time, how do you avoid that conformist? How do you not let yourself kind of think in a herd mentality manner? And something that came to mind is uh, like removing the influences in our lives, right? So I think we were talking about this the other day too. Like if you look at something like Rotten Tomatoes or maybe you want to look up a movie and you want to make your own opinion about it. You want to take the time to really find out what you like and to find out kind of who you are, what kind of pushes your buttons, things along those lines. Then removing that information can be pretty useful, I think. And I've never really been in a vacuum setting where I didn't have any opinions about something before I went through with it. But it's definitely harder work to make an opinion yourself and to have an opinion and to trust yourself on that. And it seems like something that people don't do enough is to really think about whether they like something before they look at whether someone else likes something and try to form that opinion yourself. How do you think we can get better at that? Right. So I think this gets us into the topic of vacuum settings versus perspective settings, right? Okay. So you just described a vacuum setting. So where someone is, or they're, the setting that they're in is absent of opinions and they're able to absorb a piece of media, a statement, or really anything and form an opinion on it based on themselves without the worry of judgment from someone else or having to conform with a certain opinion that already exists. Right. It's, I think, probably the best way to make your own opinion, but when are you, in my opinion, ever going to come across a scenario like that? You're always going to be in a situation where there's going to be some conflicting opinion that you have to encounter that will maybe stop you from wanting to project your opinion. So the way I like to think about it is what can we do to give ourselves a baseline? And I think this is maybe the key idea that I want to push out here. I don't think there's any good opinions. There's just bad ones. And what I mean by that is that in order to form your own opinions, you have to know what a bad opinion is. (laughs) And this can come from yourself or most likely will come from other people, and this can be attributed to music, kind of whatever, movies, anything. You have to see the different perspectives that people have out there to almost create a database for yourself that 
con- like forms into a baseline of where you set your opinions from. Okay, and what do you so, mean? I'm a little bit uh, not following 100 yeah. percent of that. So what I what I actually mean, right, is that I'll, I'll give you a concrete example here. Okay. So whenever someone in an interview, in a professional interview, says, "Oh, what is your greatest attribute?" The thing that I usually say is that I've lived in five countries, seven places, whatever. Okay. And yes, you know, from a surface level, that's pretty cool. Like, whatever, lived in however many countries, different places. But the reason I actually say it is that I can convey that I've had the experience of seeing so many diverse perspectives so that I'm or, I'm able to resonate with a lot of them, right? So when someone, what I mean by this is when someone gives their perspective and opinion, I'm able to see and trace that opinion back and see where it's maybe coming from, maybe in, in the scope of a movie, right? Someone that watches a movie says, hey, I don't like a movie. Well, I'm able to then ask, well, why didn't you like the movie? And then it might be something surface level, like I didn't like the plot. Well, then why didn't you like the plot? Or maybe it's like the music. Or for instance, we were talking about Uncut Gems the other day, right? right? A lot of people don't like Uncut Gems, and they can't really explain why. And then they're so quick to just be like, well, this is a bad movie because I don't like it. Well, why don't you like it? What if the purpose of the movie was to make you not feel comfortable throughout the movie? And I think this is the main point that I'm getting to is that you need to be putting yourselves in uncomfortable positions when it comes to opinions. Not every opinion that you have is going to be liked by everyone. And that's okay. And, you know, this is a loaded statement because it can be applied to anything, you know, politics, movies, whatever. But I think that when it comes to opinions, it's important to be forming your own opinions because otherwise no one's opinion really matters, right? If everyone has the same opinion, doesn't really, can't really attribute to anything, if that makes sense. Thanks for listening all the way through. That was this week's episode of Surface Tension. Again, this episode was slightly experimental. It was a little bit shorter. If you could fill out the poll to the Spotify listeners, we would really appreciate that. Outside of that, check out Service Tension underscore pod on Instagram for updates on the podcast and for updates on what me and Sherrod are up to. Till next time.